Welcome to the Redeemer Podcast. For more information about Redeemer Church, visit makingmuchofjesus.org. We hope you enjoy the talk and invite you to visit us next Sunday at either our 9 a.m. or 11 a.m. service. Amen. Well, it's good, good to see you and good to be with you and especially to have our elementary age students here with us on Family Worship Sunday. I know some of you hang in all the time and some of you are there most of the month with Mr. Russ and uh, Mr. Austin and, and uh, Miss Jessica and all kinds of other great servants. And so it's a great joy to have you in with us and what I still call at times Big Church. And so you're here with us. I hope you have your Bible. And if you don't, that's okay. You can look on with your parents. And everyone, please go in God's Word to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. We just finished the book of Ecclesiastes. And so we kind of have a standalone sermon today. And then I'll be out the next two weeks in the Republic of Georgia with, with Austin, who's actually, I think, in Paris right now for his job. And he's meeting us over in the Republic of Georgia. And with uh, Skip Richter, also one of our elders and Phil Sandoz, who leads our missions team, will be in the Republic of Georgia serving there along with Pastor Gia, who one of our missionaries we support and his church, Savior's Bible Church. And I'll be doing a three-day pastor's conference for 40 to 50 pastors in the Republic of Georgia going through the book of Galatians. And I love the book of Galatians, and I thought, well, why not? I'm immersed in this book. Why not look at it today? And, and also Galatians 2.20 is my favorite verse in, in the whole Bible. And I, I don't, I may be over-exaggerating, but it feels like every single day, every single day in my, my vanishing life under the sun, I, I feel like this verse pops up or a fragment of this verse pops up in my head and I desperately need it. And I trust that, I, my hope for you is that fragments and bits and that the DNA of this verse will just get embedded into our hearts and minds as we live our lives. And so as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand in honor of the reading of the word of Christ. And we're not going to, we're going to start in verse 15. We're going to focus on verse 20 as we go through the sermon. But I just want us to get some context about what Paul is talking about as we read from God's word. So beginning in verse 15, we hear from our brother Paul through the Holy Spirit. We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. Yet we know that a person is not justified, which means saved, by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be saved, to be justified by faith in Christ Jesus, not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I torn down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. For through the law, I died to the law, so that I might live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, and the life I now live in the flesh, in this body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Let's pray together. Holy Father, now, would you be with us? Would you help us to hear this word? from your spirit. And would you help us to know this day whether or not we have been crucified with Christ. 
Whether or not it is not I who live, but Christ who lives in us. Whether or not it is that we live by faith in the Son of God. And if we know that he loves us and gave himself for us on the cross and gave himself for us as he rose again from the dead and gave himself for us as he ascended back to the right hand of the Father and is coming soon for us. Help us now, King Jesus. Would you do a work in our hearts today? If we know we've been crucified with you, would you encourage us even more about what that means in our daily lives right now, this moment? And those who don't know you, Lord, would you draw them to yourself today? And it's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I was on the, on the internet recently and I saw this product uh, on social media and I thought, well, that's a really interesting product. And before I tell you the product, I gotta gotta give you context for the other products that are around. Uh, So we know where leather comes from. I hope it's not a surprise to you where leather comes from. Um, Animals, shoes, bags, car seats, usually. My Bible is goat skin. This came from some animal. And that's where we get leather. So I hope no one's terrified anymore. Now, this other product... I want you to hear the two words and see what you think. Vegan leather. Just think about that for a second. It's not, it is an oxymoron. Not like jumbo shrimp, but almost kind of like veggie burger. It's towing the line here for what is this? Vegan leather. This does not exist. These two words should not be next to each other. Unless there's a comma in, in between there somewhere. So I had to look it up. What is vegan leather? Well, of course, it's not leather. It's not coming from any animal. But it's made out of cork and kelp. At first, I thought it said kale when I was reading it. I was like, oh, but it's kelp. And weird, unpronounceable fibers and chemicals. Some of you who are maybe over the age of 40, you know this is pleather is, is the other term for it. But... Vegan leather. It sounds like something nice. Whoever came up with this term, it's soothing the consciences of people who want to have leather but are very, you know, whatever-minded, vegan-minded. And it's nice, but it's not the real thing. Vegan leather sounds nice, looks like leather, but it's just not the real thing. And as I thought about that, it made me sit back and go, man, this is crazy. I'm looking at this. But it made me think about a lot of other things. It made me think about, you know, tofu and all that other kind of substitute kind of stuff. But then it made me sit back and think about Christianity. This is how a lot of people view Christianity. It looks like real Christianity. Sounds like real Christianity. It carries some of the names of Christianity. But is it the real thing? Because there are a lot of things that happen in the Bible Belt that happen in Tomball, that happen in Texas, in the greater Houston area. They, they go by Christianity. They, they put the names and the labels. But is it the real thing? And I think in Galatians 2.20, Paul is bringing us in to think about, okay, what is Christianity? Do you know what Christianity really is? And what does it really mean to be a Christian? Guys, Christianity is more than agreeing to the teachings of Jesus. That's what a lot of people think Christianity is. Oh, I just agree with what Jesus taught. Well, it's certainly not disagreeing with him. So we know that. 
A massive part of Christianity is following the teachings of Jesus and listening to him and obeying him and agreeing with him. And, and not just the red letters, but all of it. Genesis to Malachi, that's the Bible that Jesus loved, prized, read, and treasured and fulfilled. And then also Matthew to Revelation. So, so the whole Bible is his word. So what Jesus taught is vitally important to Christians. But listen, it is wrong. It is incomplete to point to the teachings of Jesus as the summary of Christianity. It is incomplete to point at what Jesus taught and say, well, that's what it means to be a Christian. And that may sound funny to you. And in an element, I hope it does. Because I hope that alone, that thinking is going to tear down some scaffolding for you and help build up what the core of Christianity ultimately is. So to you, what does it mean to be a Christian? How do you answer that? If I were to ask you after, before the service, what does it mean to be a Christian? Someone in your office says, hey, I see that you have a cross around your neck or you have a Bible. What does it mean to be a Christian? What do you say? Some people say things like, well, I, I try to live a good life. Or I read my Bible and I, I try to pray. I try to love my neighbor. I, you know, I try to do good works. Or maybe we get like even more refined and, and more spiritual and say, I try to follow the teachings of Jesus. Well, how Christians do these things. That's not the essential DNA of what it means to be a Christian. I mean, what did we just read from Paul? What did Paul say? Verse 16, we know that a person is not saved, justified by works. So when we say, when that, to answer the question, what does it mean to be a Christian? And we answer with works. I try to be a good person. I read my Bible. I go to Redeemer Church. I tithe. I, I love others. We are answering with works of the law. We're saying, well, I do this. I do that. I do these things. And verse 21, we nullify the grace of God. For if righteousness were through works, law, Christ died for no purpose. And so when we say what it means, what does it mean to be a Christian? You could take out the word Christian and you could add what does it mean to be covered in the righteousness of Christ? What does it mean to be righteous? These are synonyms for what it means to be a Christian. Covered by Christ, saved by his blood, righteous. So if it's not those things, what is it? Being a Christian is way more than becoming a member of Jesus's brand of morality. That's what a lot of you think why we're Christians, why you're here today worshiping and singing and listening to this ancient book. A lot of people in the world think you must be there because you think it fits better with your way of life. You like that way of being a good person. You want to eat pork, so you're a Christian. Not a Muslim. Not in Judaism. You go there because it fits your schedule. You don't want to go to mass or you don't want to go to temple. You don't want to pray three times a day, forced to bow down to the east. So you do that. Or, you're, or maybe you're more in tune with the universe, so maybe you should try out Kabbalah or you should try out Buddhism. You're just a Christian because that fits your way of thinking. But the Bible would say, no, that's not why we're Christians. That's not the real, authentic, 100% genuine gospel Christianity. So how does Paul describe what it means to be a Christian? What's the foundation, the core, the pillars? What is the electric current of Christianity? It's Galatians 2.20. You can sum it up really in one word, crucifixion. The core and current of Christianity is crucifixion. 
the crucifixion of Christ. It isn't Jesus' teaching, but it is Jesus being tortured. It is Jesus not giving a sermon, but Jesus giving up his life as a ransom for many. Christianity is first and foremost about what Jesus did on the cross, how he died in the place of sinners, how he paid for our sins, and how he rose again from the dead, granting eternal life for anyone and everyone who had put their faith, their trust, and their dependence on him. And notice, now, now what about all the things, the teachings? Well, now those all make sense after we have been what? Look what Paul says in Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, in these bodies, the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. It begins with crucifixion. It begins with the tortures of Christ on the cross, and then the teachings come. Because only the teachings of Jesus, they can only apply and only make sense and only bear fruit in the lives of those who have been, first phrase, crucified with Christ. This is the essence of Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian. So next time someone asks you, what, it means, what does it mean to be a believer in Christ? What does it mean to be a Christian? It means I've been crucified with Christ. What happened 2,000-ish years ago at Calvary isn't a distant and disconnected event. Paul says, I died with Christ. And so every Christian in this room can look at the cross of Christ and say, I too have been crucified with Christ. That Jesus died in my place for my sins. And when he was dying, I was dying with him. Well, what does that mean? Because I have no nail scars on my hands. And neither do you, and neither did Paul. I didn't have a crown of thorns shoved onto my head. I didn't have a spear pierce my side. And neither did Paul. So what does it mean to be crucified with Christ? It means, to be crucified with Christ means that the death of Jesus is the death of our old self. That Jesus is not just, becoming a Christian isn't just put in this nice appendix or this nice asterisk or stapling now the teachings of Jesus into our lives. It means I have died, I have been undone, I have given up my life, I have died with him. And that his resurrection is now the realization of a new life that I have with Jesus. To be crucified with Christ means it is the death of our sin. To be crucified with Christ means it is the death of Satan's sway and control over us. To be crucified with Christ means it is the end of my enslavement to sin. And now it has been proclaimed that I am set free from sin. For it is for freedom that Christ died to set me free. Therefore, I will never be again subjected to another yoke of slavery. To be crucified with Christ means that there is now a flat line registered on our old self, on the satanic powers, and on my sins. And now the old has passed away and the new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. And every Christian in this room has the same crucifixion. Every Christian in this room has the same crucifixion. There isn't a same there isn't a different pathway for me. Like, oh, well, I have this kind of death and, and Lawson has this kind of death and Kitty White had this kind of death. And no, no, we, we all can look back and say, no, Christ 
Your background, my background, sins we've committed, sins we haven't committed, our struggles, they are all different, but the gravitational pull of our lives brings us all back to the same point in history. Brings us all back to the same person. Brings us all back to the same event. I have been crucified with Christ. And it was with Christ, with him, He is the only way to new life. He is the only way to escape the wrath of God. He is the only way to receive forgiveness. So so we see already to be a Christian is to be crucified with Christ. Christianity is way more than just injecting Bible verses into our lives. It's being crucified with him. As the Bible says, if anyone is in Christ, they are a new creation. And the old has passed away. The new has come. It is about death and resurrection. It is about passing, and it is about arrival of something new. Being a Christian and coming to church and reading your Bible, this isn't just about fine-tuning your life. Sometimes people come to Christianity because, man, I got habits I don't like. There's there's things in my marriage I like to have fixed, so I'm going to come in, get my life dialed in with some spirituality. That is not Christianity. Christianity isn't about fine-tuned adjustments. It is about forgiveness of sins and newness of life. New identities. Being a new person in Jesus Christ. So your new identity is, I've been crucified. That's how Paul describes himself. I am now someone who has been crucified with Christ. And now we define ourselves as, we are the crucified. I am the crucified. Your old identities doesn't matter what they are. You are now the crucified. It doesn't matter if you were a pill popper. You've now been crucified with Christ. It doesn't matter if in your past you were an adulterer. You have now been crucified with Christ. It doesn't matter if you were a drug addict, you were a swindler, you were... We can go on and on. What defines you now? The old has passed away. The new has come. I have been crucified with Christ. We are now radically new people with a radically new power. We forget who we are and we mope around our lives and we we just kind of go through our week, just kind of living as Americans, doing our own thing and forgetting that we are radically new people with a radically new power, Christ himself. Look at how Paul continues. I have been crucified with Christ. That's who we are. What else? It is no longer I who live. Well, how is that? That kind of makes sense. I was crucified. That means death. It's no longer I who live. Okay. But look at this new spin. But Christ, who lives in me, but Christ lives in me. So as much as Christ is alive in the heavenly places, reigning and ruling over the universe, he is now working in us. He is now moving in us. He is alive in us, and he is with us, and he is working in us for our good. And listen, Here's why I feel like this is so important to my life and to your life. Because I bet if we went around the room, we'd probably say some of the sins in our lives that we are most disturbed by are ones that we commit alone. The ones that we're most terrified about. The ones that we've never told anyone. Probably ones that we committed alone on a very small group are just in our thoughts, just in our emotions just in our fantasies. 
here, Paul tells us now, you're never alone. Because Satan capitalizes, capitalizes, and he monetizes the fact when the sheep are alone. But now with Christ, he says, it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. So now we are never alone. Wherever you are, Christ is always with you. Wherever you go, Jesus is with you. And this means, in another sense, that we've also to live as Christ and to die as gain, to be crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me, saying, I've turned over the keys to my life. Here. Here's the, here's the deed. Here's the title. Here's the papers. Here's the keys. This is what it means to say, Jesus is Lord. You are in control of my life now, Lord. Not, not me. Your word. Not my ideas. It's all in his hands. Because the old has passed away, and now the new has come. A new you, a new life. And look at Galatians 5.24. Just flip over a page in, in your Bible. Listen how Paul describes it in another sense of what it means to be crucified with Christ and to have Christ live in you, Galatians 5.24. And those who belong to Christ, Jesus, that's what it means to be a Christian, Another name for a Christian, to belong to Jesus. Have, have what? Crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So that's the second time he's mentioned crucifixion. So Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ. Well, what does that mean to be crucified with Christ? Galatians 5.24 answers it. It means that we've crucified the flesh. If you write in your Bible, which I always encourage, I would write Galatians 2.20 right next to Galatians 5.24. And then I would go back to Galatians 2.20 and I would also write Galatians 5.24. To belong to Jesus, to be a Christian, also means that my flesh, the sinfulness that's in me and its cravings and its passions are now dead. What are those things? It's all the things mentioned beginning in verse 17. For the desires of the flesh. And he begins to list them. Immorality, impurity, idolatry, sorcery, envy, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, and all these kinds of things. Paul lists them all, and he says, now, we are now all dead to them. Now in Christ, if you've been crucified with Christ, these things have been crucified too. Meaning they no longer have control over you. That's kind of the negative side, and now he looks at it positively. Verse 25. If we live by the Spirit, that's another way to say a Christian. You belong, to, you belong to Christ Jesus. You've been crucified with Christ. You live by the Spirit. Let us, what? Keep in step with the Spirit. To keep in step with the Spirit. To be crucified with Christ. And to have no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We keep in step with the Spirit. What's, what is it to keep in step with the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit. The things listed in verse 22 of Galatians 5. He's contrasting works of the flesh, fruit of the spirit. And what are these? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And against these things, there is no law. So now, to be crucified with Christ and to see that it's no longer I who live means the flesh and those desires are put away. But now Christ lives in me means that the fruit of the Spirit is now at work in my life. So how do we keep in step with the Spirit? 
Because you can read the fruit of the spirit and you, no one's going to walk out of here and go, okay. Verse 23 says, gentleness, I've been kind of a jerk this week. I'm going to be more gentle. That's not going to happen. Okay, I've been kind of rude to my spouse. I'm going to be more kind. That's what I'm going to do. You can try. It's not going to happen. So how are we going to do it? How are we going to keep in step with the spirit? And it makes me think of being at a, at a wedding at the, at the party afterwards, at the dance. And there's a little kid out there, and they want to dance with their father or with their mother. And what do they do? They put their feet on their mom or dad's feet. They grab their mom or dad's hand, and then they're going. They think they're dancing, don't they? They're moving. But who's the one moving them? Their mom or dad. So when you have gentleness, you're actually gentle. And it wasn't just your personality, but it was towards someone who you would not, you would normally like to just hit them. Because in my flesh, I would love to fight. In my flesh, man, I would love to just punch people in the face. And so would you. That's why you're laughing. (laughs) But when it's gentleness comes up, what is that? It's we are now in step with the spirit. We're, We're dancing and He's just taking us along. Our feet are on top of some Galilean sandals, and we're just kind of going through life with him. Things are happening that aren't, that, well, I would, I would never talk to them like that before. Before I would have said this, but now I'm saying this. Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life and I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. It's now Jesus himself at work in us by the Holy Spirit. Because what? We are radically new people with a radically new power. And if that's true, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. This can only mean that at some point in my life, little by little, there is a slow drip of the righteousness of Christ being played out. If Christ lives in me, this can only mean that his character is beginning to come through my pores. If I'm keeping in step with the Spirit and Christ lives in me, this could only mean that now my words are beginning to be things like Jesus would say. And my emotions and my my attitudes are now beginning to sound like Jesus and the fruit of the Spirit is being played out. So do you really grasp that Christ is alive in you? That Christ, it really is no longer you who live, but Christ. It's amazing to think about but it is life-altering to really believe that the king of the universe died on the cross for your sins, rose again from the dead, and he is alive in you, helping you and serving you and leading you all by faith, all by dependence on him. The one who upholds the universe together by the word of his power says, I will help you, Jeff Metters. I am alive in you. Do you believe that? I know you believe it and that it's true, that that's what the Bible says, but we got to move past from it just being doctrine that we have and categories in our lives, but it being actual supersonic fuel in our lives. That when temptation comes, when depression is looming, when anxiety is knocking on the door, do we step back and go, Lord, I believe I've been crucified with you. I believe it's no longer I who live. Help me believe that you live in me. 
This is the Christian life. To see that he is at the helm of our lives. More than just his teachings at work in me, but the teacher himself is now at work in me. This is the Christian life. And in, in another element, some of us, we're like, yeah, I know that. I know those things. I do a pretty good job at them. Other of us feel like, man, I'm really struggling with that. We're all in different places. But one thing we got to grasp, because once you start to believe these verses, things begin to happen in your life. You begin to see fruit. But we got to remember that the Christian life is the unbraggable life too. The crucified life is the unbraggable life. So when a good work happens, and they're going to happen, you will have good works in your life. I see them. I see them happen all the time in our, in our lives. So when a good work happens in our lives, you remember to pray for someone. You, you're going to tell someone today, I'll pray for you this week, brother. And it's Thursday. You're like, oh, I got to pray for them. Like, you know, you forgot. You're like, oh man, I remembered. You go, oh man, thank you, Lord. You recognize, okay, that was the Lord. Thank you. You serve a brother or sister in Christ. Then you're actually loving towards the unlovable and kind for those who are challenging. When the fruit of the Spirit happens in your life, we got to remember that it's called the fruit of the Spirit and not the fruit of Jeff. And not the fruit of you, but the fruit of him. As the Bible says in John 15, Jesus says, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, you could say whoever's been crucified with me, whoever acknowledges that it's no longer them who live, but I who live in them, they will bear much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. That's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, along with Galatians 2.20. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Because I need daily reminders that I am totally inept. That if it were not for Christ, I would derail my life. If it were not for Jesus, I would do all kinds of heinous things, and I would commit some of the greatest sins the universe has ever seen if it were not for Jesus. Because I realize how great of a sinner I am. When we sing, our sin is strong, Jesus is stronger, and my shame is great that I feel disgusted by those sins that I wanted to do and the sins that I did do, but to look and go, yes, I've been crucified, Jesus is stronger, and he's greater than all of my shame, and that apart from him, apart from him, I can do nothing. That it's no longer us who live, the savior that I abide with. Being crucified with Christ is now the death of our pride and the confusion that we're better than anyone. Crucified people do not think they're better than anyone. So if you've been crucified with Christ, this is to admit I am better than no one. If you've been crucified with Christ, it is to admit I too am the chief of sinners. If you've been crucified with Christ, this is the crush of all of our pride. In fact, look what Paul says later in Galatians, Galatians 6.14. Galatians 6.14, listen to what Paul, how Paul talks about being crucified with Christ and what this does with us, okay? Galatians 6.14. Far be it from me to boast, to brag, except I'm only going to brag about one thing in the universe. What Jesus taught? No. And the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So now we have the third instance of this language. Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. What does that mean? I've put to death. All my fleshy, fleshly passions have been crucified. And now Galatians 6.14, what does it mean? I've been crucified to the world. 
crucified with Christ, crucified my sin, now I'm crucified to the world on all that the world offers and all that the world holds out, all that the world wants to give me. I'm dead to it. That's why Paul can say to live is Christ and to die is gain. This is why when Jesus, when people want to follow him in the gospels, they say, we're ready to follow you. He goes, okay, well, you need to know that the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. People go, you haven't been crucified to the world. This is why when the rich young ruler comes up to Jesus, he says, I'm ready to follow you. He says, great, do this, this, and this. He's like, oh man, I've done all those. Great. Now how about you do these things? Ugh. I don't know if following you is worth doing that. What, you haven't been crucified with me? You haven't crucified your flesh? You haven't been crucified to the world? Oh man, I'd love to follow Jesus, but does that mean I have to give up what, the relationship with my girlfriend? Does it mean I have to give up what we do on the weekends? I'd love to follow Jesus, but does that mean I have to like, come to this church gathering and sing and I've got to be a part of this? I'd love to follow Jesus, but does it mean I have to give up this sin and that sin? To be crucified with Christ crucifies our flesh, and then we're crucified to the world. This is why it's called the unbraggable life, because he looks and he says, I can only brag about one thing, what Christ has done for me. To be a Christian is now to point back to him and to him again and again and again that it's Christ in me. It'd be easy to look at a Christian and go, oh man, they're a really good Christian. I mean, look at what they do. But Paul would say, no, it's Christ in me. We put zero confidence in the flesh. Like even this past week, this is why it's got to come down to the nitty gritty of our lives and how this really plays out. This past week in our house, Natalie and I, we each have a cup of coffee every morning. And we have this fancy like pour over thing. We can only make one cup at a time. And I, I drink a hot cup. She drinks an iced coffee every morning. And we had two different bags of coffee this week. And we, there's one that it made an okay hot cup of coffee. I didn't really like it that much. It made a horrible iced coffee. She, she did not like it. And I didn't like it either. We had this other one. Oh, it was so good ice. It was really sweet. It was really great hot. It was awesome. Well, it's 6.30 a.m. on Wednesday. I'm ready to make my coffee. I walk in there and I can look and go, there's only enough to make one. We've got plenty of the bad one. There's only one left to make enough, enough beans left to make one cup of coffee. She's not going to have hers for another 30, 45 minutes. I'm ready for mine now. And by God's grace, I gave that to her. Why? Because it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I'm dead serious about how practical this is. I'm, this is like crucifixion in that moment. Because my flesh wants it all. I don't, in my flesh, I don't care about her. I want that coffee. And I would just tell her, well, I don't know what happened. I thought we had enough. I thought you liked the other one. <laughs> my flesh wants it bad. Doesn't care about anybody else. But if, listen, this is why I think this is so important. If my life in Christ can't even compel me to give my wife the good coffee, my gospel means nothing. If our claim to be crucified with Christ won't even move us to love our neighbor, won't even move us to give up small things, our gospel means nothing. Because doesn't 
Christ care about, these knee-deep moments in our soul. It's easy to look like we follow him on Sundays and we tithe and we pray. Oh, man, it looks easy to follow Jesus there. But Jesus cares about those little things. The way you look at a woman. The way you speak to a friend. The kind of jokes you make. All these kinds of things. The crucified life isn't just the weakened life. It is the all of life. That whether we eat or drink or whatever we do, we do it all to the glory of God. And in that moment, here's why you get back to the, uh, the unbraggable life. It'd be easy to think in that moment for me on Wednesday morning. It'd be easy to think, I am a good husband. I'm a good Christian man. Because I bet there's Christian men at our church, they wouldn't do that. I bet there's guys at our church, they'd be like, I'm taking this. You can go to Starbucks, whatever. It'd be easy to say, you know what? I, I do love my wife very well. She's lucky to have me. I am a good Christian man. But what do you begin to sound like when you begin to think that way? Thank you, God, that I'm not like that man. Thank you, God, that I'm not like that sinner. And we, don't begin to, we should be sounding more like the man on the other side of the street praying. Jesus talks about, God, be merciful to me. So we don't, we don't boast in anything in a fruit that pops up in our life. We sit back and go, no, that was Christ at work in me. The only way I was empowered to let Natalie have that coffee is because Jesus was at work in me, especially at 630 in the morning. Because without Jesus, I would have taken it or I would have like done a prank on her or something. You know, like it's only Christ at work in us because look at how he continues in Galatians 2.20 again. Because the life I now live in the flesh, in our body, I live by faith in the Son of God. I live. This is daily life. I live by faith in the Son of God. This is all about everything we do, Monday through Saturday, Sunday through Saturday. It's all daily life. That's why Jesus says in Luke 9, whoever would come after me, let him pick up his cross daily and follow after me. Some of us have just picked up a cross at a profession. Just once. Yep, I claim Christ once, I'm good. Jesus says, that's, that's not what Christianity means. Pick up our crosses daily. Following of Jesus daily. Every day it's remembering I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I who live. So we must all sit back and ask ourselves, have I been crucified with Christ? Have I really been raised to newness of life with him? Do I really think that it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me? Or is it just me? Do I really live by faith in the Son of God? To live by faith in the Son of God is to see that it is the Christ-infused life. The crucified life is now the Christ-infused life. This is how we live by faith. Not by our works. Not by hoping in something else. It's all of life by faith. So that even when you talk to your children, Disciplining your children, it's by faith in the Son of God. As you tackle that project at work, this is the Christ-infused life. You tackle it, what? By faith in the Son of God, realizing Christ is alive in me. Wherever I go, he goes. You grill that steak and you laugh with friends and you watch Netflix as Christ lives in you by faith. The crucified life realizes that Christ isn't just on the crust of our lives, just on our nice weekends, but he's in the all of life. 
That's all in him. It's all from him. It's all to him. And it's all for him. And it's all toward him. By faith in the Son of God. Let's just talk about faith for a second. Because faith sometimes feels like a fuzzy, foggy, churchy word. I was talking to a guy after the first service. And he's like, hey, you know, I'm struggling. And people just say, oh, live by faith. I don't know what that means. And I think we all could admit that there's been times where we know that, but we're not sure what that means, what that looks like, and we're scared to say, I don't know what that means. What does it mean to live by faith in the Son of God? Another way you could describe faith is just dependence. You're depending on him. You're trusting him for salvation, for eternal life, for growth, for your life. So when you want to quit that sin, I'm, I'm putting my dependence, trust, faith in you. When the Bible says that I should not do this and I should do this, I'm putting my faith, dependence, and my trust that that's right. I, I've lost my job. I don't know what to do. I, how should I go, Lord? I, I'm just going to put my dependence, my, my faith, and my trust in you, and I'm going to just go where you guide me. Believe and receive what's yours in Christ. This is what it means to live by faith. And a lot of times we don't do that. We try to live by works, or live by emotion, or, or live by uh, circumstance. Just imagine there's, imagine there's two carpenters. One has been gifted from an ancestor who was a carpenter before him. Every tool imaginable. I mean, the greatest tools. Any kind of task, any kind of sander, any kind of drill, any kind of corner cut he wants to make, he's got, it. He's got everything possible. But then the other guy, he, he too. They both have complete access. This was their relative. They both have complete access to the same tool shed. Whatever they want, just go take it. They can use it, and they can get the job done. It's theirs. One carpenter says, oh, I can't believe that. This is amazing that they left us. I, I'm going. And they go, and they're getting the tools they need every single time. The other carpenter is like, nah, what I have is fine. I'm getting the job done. No one's complained. I'm going to keep using the tools I have. We, we know which one is the foolish person, which one is the wise person. The one who has the, all the tools offered to him to get the job done. But the one who just wants to keep using just one, one sander, one hammer, and one buzzsaw. This is a lot of times how we function in the Christian life. We have everything that we need for life and godliness offered to us in Christ. And yet sometimes we just try, we're going to muscle it out on our own. We're going to live by our works. We're just going to try to do what we do, know what we know, instead of drawing near to the throne of grace in a time of need and receiving help in that time of need. So often we forget to draw on what is ours in Christ. His power, his grace, his mercy, his strength, his help. And so we struggle with sins, sins of omission, things we should be doing, sins of commission, things we should not be doing. And we keep repeating the same old sin patterns and we lose heart. And why? We've forgotten what is ours in Christ. That since we've been crucified with Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who now lives in me. So now the life I now live in the flesh, I'm going to live by faith in the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. So this means when, when bitterness begins to swell up, you remember I've been crucified with Christ. When lust begins to roar, 
You remember, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. When those mean-spirited thoughts begin to kind of swell and show themselves, envy, we got to see that they've lost our hold on us because we're new people in Christ. Turn, turn to Romans 6. Everyone flip, flip to Romans 6 to the left and see. I want you to see the powerful explanation of Paul, what it means to be crucified with Christ in the book of, in the book of Romans. What does it mean further to be crucified with Christ? To know it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. To live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. What is the Christian life? Romans 6, beginning in verse 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, what is that? Crucified with Christ. We shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We know that our old self was crucified. There's our word again, with him. Why? In order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. That's Galatians 5.24. It's crucified our passions and its flesh. So we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For the one who has died, been crucified with Christ, has been set free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. So it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, as though you've been crucified with Christ and your members to God as instruments for righteousness, as though it's Christ who lives in you. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law, but under grace. This is the crucified life. We must there are, there are three things, really, the crucified life brings out. Three things that Paul says we do. One, we must consider ourselves dead to sin. We must consider ourselves dead to sin. And alive to God in Christ. We must consider ourselves dead and then raised to newness of life to God in Christ. And really, the second thing, he says, we don't let sin control us. Reign over us. Let not sin therefore reign like a king, like a ruler over your body to make you obey its passions. Because we don't let sin reign. Now we have the power and the ability in Christ to say, I don't have to listen to you. Because what does it want to do? It wants wants to make you obey its passions. We sin because we let sin reign. We say what we say and do what we do, lie what we lie, lust what we lust, because we let sin reign and we, we obey its passions. We forget that sin's been dethroned, its scepter has been smashed by the Lion of Judah. And sin sneaks in and says, I belong here. And we go, yeah, I remember you. We had good times back then. I like you. 
you make me feel good. You give me what I want. Sometimes you give me quicker joys than other things. And then we sin. But as Paul says here, when we remember Jesus, we remember I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live. Remember that he died in our place and he rose again from the dead. We can, when that sin creeps in, that temptation slips in, instead of saying, oh, it's good to see you, we can say, hey, hey, no, I can't, I, I don't want you here. I can't stand you. I don't have to listen to you anymore. I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. Jesus is here now. Before, it was just me and you, but now Christ is here. And I live by faith in him. I know I'm weak. I know I give in, and I would love at times to give in to you, but now I've been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live. And now Christ lives in me. So why don't you just go ahead and go? I have no power on my own, but I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So when you're on that computer and those websites are just bringing you in, you can remember I've been crucified with Christ. When you're beginning to flirt with that person, you should not be flirting with you. Remember, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. Help me, Jesus. That's how temptations begin to die. That's the only way. The Bible gives no other means for how we must consider ourselves dead to sin other than we've been crucified with Christ, the one who loved me and gave himself for me. The love of Jesus to die for us, to bring us into newness of life. He loves you right now. The love of Je Jesus is just loving us out of sin. This is Christian growth. His love compelling us out of sin. When the more sweet that Jesus becomes to you, the more bitter sin will become. Sin will only be bitter at the level that Christ becomes sweet. Right now, this second, Jesus loves you. He's the one who loved you and yielded his life for you to give you new life. And now he lives with us. Do you know this Jesus? Have you been crucified with Christ? Have you been raised to newness of life? Do you know and believe that it's no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you? Do you really live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you? This is real Christianity. There's a lot of vegan leather Christianity out there. But Galatians 2.20, this is the real thing. Crucify with Christ and raised to newness of life. I hope and pray that this verse begin to change your life in ways that it's still changing mine. For this is real Christianity. Let's pray together.